Well, I want to welcome you this morning to the tent. Look at your neighbor. Say, welcome to the tent. Look at your other neighbor. Say, you looked better last week. Just kidding. Y'all, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pastor you for a moment. Can I pastor you? Didn't matter what you said. I was going to do it anyways because you're stuck. I got the mic and you're just sitting there. And if you leave, everybody will see. No, I'm just kidding. So we are in a final push. We have been... We have been strengthened and fortified as a church. We've been digging out in this ground for almost 20 months we've been in this tent. Now, when we first heard the Lord to plant a mercy culture, we had a different location. We had an agreement. We had a location. We had a place. Some things happened. I think we might be a little bit too, too wild, maybe just a little bit. Maybe one too many shofar blasts. I don't know. But some stuff happened and we, we no longer had that facility available to us. And we went before the Lord and we began to pray and ask God. And multiple people had visions. And part of the visions came together and it was that we were in a tent. And if you don't know about this particular property, we've been, we were contending for this property months before Mercy Culture Waco ever launched. And me and my wife and Pastor Landon and Pastor Heather, who are Mercy Culture founding pastors in Fort Worth, we were all here together. We'd spent the weekend praying. We were looking for a place to potentially launch. And we drove by this property, and it was just like a beam. It was like, woof. We all just turned and go, stop. What is that? And I'd seen this property before, but it was kind of rough. You know, like the signs falling down, and it looked like a haunted house a little bit. It was a little bit rough. I was like, that looks like a problem is what that looks like. That looks like hair loss. <laughs> That's what that looks like. And, but we felt the Lord just pull us in. And so we went in and we prayed and there was a number outside and it was just for lease. They didn't want to sell it. We called the guy, the agent. We said, hey, can we meet with the owner? And we met and the owner had this price. And I talked to him and we're trying to negotiate and he, he, stonewalled me, said no. I shook his hand, said, well, nice to meet you. Just walked off. Right. Nikki and the, everybody was just standing there like, oh, I guess we're, <laughs> we just got in the car and left. And months go by and I'm praying and we would come to this property every time we would come to Waco to pray. And we would have our little team of people. Some of you were a part of that group. And we would pray on this property just as a point of contact for this city. Just believe, we, did, we thought that this building was in a possibility. It was impossible. We weren't going to get it. Began to pray and seek the Lord. And I was in my office. I was laying on the floor praying. And the Lord said, go to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 20. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't have the book of Hebrews memorized. So I did not, in fact, know what Hebrews chapter 10, verse 20 was, but the paraphrase of it is through this, meaning through the sacrifice of Jesus, the curtain was rent and a new way into the most holy place was created. And I felt the oil of God on it. And he said, this is the way into the holy place in Waco. And I looked and I remembered the address of this building is 1020 Waco Drive. And so we went back, we heard from the Lord. Long story short, we bought this building. We began to pray and seek the Lord. We launched in another location. That didn't work out. We saw this vision of putting a tent, and we honestly thought we would be in this tent for six to nine months. Max. Some of y'all remember that. It was like, we might be in Christmas Eve. This was last Christmas Eve that we were talking about that. Then we were like, well, we'll be in, on, in, in January. Nope. Well, maybe, maybe Easter. Easter came and went. He is risen. The joke around here is a few short weeks. Somebody said they're going to get me a shirt in a few short weeks. I've been saying that for 19 months. But just one thing after the other, after the other, after the other rose up. Now, I don't understand why this is the case. I don't have full understanding, but I know that the Lord sometimes places his hand on a piece of land. That the Lord wants to bring his, his will into a city through a specific location. Sometimes it's just wherever the door opens, but sometimes God has a place. Can I get an amen? Sometimes the Lord has a place, his 
piece of land, a specific place. And we know God called us to this land, 1020 Waco Drive. And pastor, y'all know Pastor Zane and Pastor Jan have ministered here before. They're great spiritual leaders in our life. And Pastor Jan came and she delivered a word to, to my wife and I. And she said, she said, there's seismic activity happening in the spirit as you're sowing in the ground and worship and prayer in this tent. Y'all, we've had some of the most incredible encounters with God. It's been 115 degrees in this tent. I wish I was exaggerating. And we prayed and we sought the Lord and we sweat and we cried out. And sometimes I'd look up and service was six hours long and people were still laid out on the floor. Don't get nervous. We're not keeping you for six hours. Somebody looked at their neighbor like six hours. Oh no, no that's not going to happen today. But we just dug it out and prayed and believed God. And Pastor Jan said, what you're doing in the spirit, there's seismic activity. And she said, what I see is fault lines coming from underneath this tent. And it's going up underneath the political and religious structures of this region and destabilizing the foundations. And she said, so that when you walk up to it, all you'll have to do is speak and it'll come crumbling down. And I can't tell you how many times there's been these incidents where all we've done is speak to it and the edifice just comes crumbling down. It's been wild, one thing after the other. And when she spoke that, my wife started to look into some things and do a little research. And we found that there's a fault line that runs through this property. And the name of that fault line is the King's Highway. And we realized that this street right up here is Waco Drive, and this street right here is Garrison, which means a strengthened or fortified city. And the street that runs behind us is the King's Highway. The Lord chose this location for Mercy Culture Waco to be. We're not that smart. I'm not that smart. I didn't choose it. The Lord chose this location. And so we've been digging it out. And weird things happened. It took us nine months to get a permit to begin work. We didn't do one thing. Not, we didn't swing a hammer. Nothing on that building for nine, <clears throat> nine long months just to get a permit. We got our building permit and then this happened and that happened and contract issues and things were on delay and the piece of equipment, you know, there's that one piece of equipment, you know what I'm talking about? It's that one thing that they need and they're going to be blaming it on COVID in 2074. <laughs> but they said, you know, because of COVID, that doesn't make any sense. People just throw it out and you're just supposed to accept bad customer service. <laughs> Can I have some vanilla ice cream? Well, because of COVID. Sometimes I look at them and go, I need you to explain that to me. No, 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 no. No, go ahead, tell me. But anyways, because of COVID, it took us a year to get the piece of, a, a year to get a piece of electrical equipment that we needed. And it's just been one thing after the other, and we've been contending and praying and believing and stewarding and sowing, and we are in the final push. And after all of this, I found out just a few weeks ago that we are the last of multiple churches that have purchased this property and tried to remodel it and turn it into a church. I knew of one other, but I found out, I believe there's been four, four or five other churches who have tried to take this property and remodel it. And with every single one, they've run out of money. There was financial impropriety. There were moral failures. There were massive attacks against them being able to establish this as a house for the Lord to dwell. But God sent some crazy people to Waco, Texas to establish a resting place for his presence. Jesus said, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to rest his head. If it's your first time in mercy culture, I want you to hear me. Or if you've been here for a while and you don't have full clarity, I want you to hear me. The mercy culture church exists for the Lord. It doesn't exist for you. Mercy culture church doesn't exist to make you feel good. 
The church doesn't exist to make you leave feeling pumped up and excited about yourself and how wonderful and how great you are. Mercy culture exists to bless the Lord. And let me tell you something. When you bless the Lord and the Lord shows up, you can't help but leave encouraged. You can't help but leave knowing from where your help comes from. You can't help but leave strengthened and fortified. When the spirit of the living God shows up, he breathes life into every lifeless situation that you're facing. And we commit that this property will be a resting place for the Lord. This will be a Bethany for Jesus, a place that he can lay his head and rest. Not a place built as a monument to man, not a place built around a person or an ego, but a place where the presence of God can rest, where lives will be changed and people will be set free and bodies will be healed. Where the spirit of the Lord will be poured out, I feel the Lord, will be poured out in East Waco. Where the chains of racism and division will be broken. The chains of poverty will be broken. Mm. Not because we're so great. Not because I can preach and because we got great worship and because the children's ministry is great. All of those things, yes, excellence is a value here. But because the Lord is welcome here. And we don't make room for him. We give him the room. The whole place belongs to him. Everything that we do belongs to the Lord. What do you want, Lord? We ask the Lord, what color do you want the walls? And how do you want this to feel? And where do you want this to be? And what songs do you want to sing? Not what's going to make you feel the best. And you know, you can only have worship for 22 minutes and then people get uncomfortable and then they leave. I'm much more concerned with him leaving than you. Now, as I was praying, we've been meeting here every morning. It'll be 40 days coming up uh, week after next. The 17th is the last day. We've been coming here as the men of the house every morning from 8 to 8.30 a.m. and walking around this building praying. Rain or shine, we walk around this building praying for 40 days, praying. Whew. We've been praying. I feel it in my spirit. This ain't got nothing to do with my message. Some of y'all have got some walls in your life. You need to walk around and pray. You've been asking somebody else to pray. You've been writing spiritual coattails of somebody else. And the Lord says, get up, stand up, begin to walk and pray. Walk around your home and pray. Walk around your office and pray. Walk around your car and pray. Go into your kids' rooms while they're asleep and pray. But we've been walking around this facility. We've been praying. And I went into the back back there. And I began to repent to the Lord for what I thought was a lack of stewardship. I said, Lord, I'm sorry that this land, this property hasn't been stewarded well. That you wanted this place for all of these years. It's been empty. How long, Monique? 15, 20 years? A long time. It's been empty. And I go back there and I'm praying, Lord, you've wanted this place. And I repent, God, for the lack of stewardship and immediately the Lord took me into vision. What's a vision? It's just a spiritual daydream, something I could see in my spirit. And what I saw over this building was a circus tent. And I could hear in my spirit. And I saw clowns and people juggling and doing a little shows and a three ring circus. And I heard the Lord say, it's not stewardship that's been lacking its reverence. Mm. And a lack of reverence will always lead to a lack of stewardship. So I began to pray. That's been my new focus in prayer every morning. Lord, let this be a house of reverence and awe. Let it be a place of awe and wonder. What I felt in my spirit is God wanted to establish such an awe and reverence and fear of the Lord on that building that when you walk into it, it'll feel like the old cathedrals in Europe that just take your breath away. It's awe. So I began to pray, and one of our staff members from Fort Worth came down, Chris Donald, and he came and just to visit with me and hang out, and he walked into the building. I had no idea this has been my, that had been my prayer, only for a few days. And he goes, whoa. He said, I feel awe and reverence in here. He said, it feels like a cathedral.
So on this last push, I want to ask you to pray with me. But not only pray. Now, you know how I connect with God. I connect with God through food. It isn't one of the ways, but I think we're missing the Lord on that one. Ooh, I love food. The holidays are coming up. But the Lord spoke to me and he said to call a fast. Somebody take a deep breath. A fast, I said a fast. What does a fast mean? It means you don't eat. Somebody told me, well, I'm, I'm fasting fictional novels. I want you to pray and ask the Lord, what is it that he wants you to fast? I'm calling a fast from today until Thanksgiving Day. That's 18 days. That's what I heard the Lord. And he said to name it the reverence fast. To name it the reverence fast. So I want you even now to begin to pray and ask the Lord. Lord, what is it that you want me to fast? I'll tell you this. It's always the most difficult thing to fast food. It's always the most difficult. It's the thing that'll kill your flesh more than anything. I feel it right now in my spirit. There are some of you in here who have never gone on extended fast, and God's going to give you the strength to do it right now. If that's you, just lift your hands. If you've never gone on a fast longer than five days, lift up your hands. God's going to give you the strength. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen and fortify your children, your sons and your daughters. Strengthen them to walk in obedience to your word in the name of Jesus. So God's called us to a reverence fast, and I know that it's last minute, and we typically like to give you time. At the beginning of the year, we're going to do another fast. Yes, this doesn't cancel out the next one. <laughs> we take the first few weeks of the year and we fast and give it to the Lord and that's going to happen at the beginning of the year and we give you plenty of time and we talk about it but this one the Lord just dropped it in my spirit and said call a fast I know some of you got birthday parties and some of you have things coming up I'm just asking you to ask the Lord don't be religious. Don't have shame. Don't have guilt. If you want to fast and then eat at the thing you had planned and then go back on a fast, I don't know. Whatever the Lord is speaking to you to do. But listen, listen to the spirit, not to the flesh. And ask the Holy Spirit what he would have you to fast. We're going to fast and believe God that reverence would rest upon this house. And the first moments that we step into that building will be consecrated to the Lord. And that place will be, is consecrated now and shall be forevermore consecrated to God. The Lord told me the first two weeks when we move in not to tell anybody about it. I said, Lord, 20 months we've been contending. I can't wait. I want to do Instagram live and Facebook and ads and all this stuff. He said, no, no, the first two weeks are for me. And so what I'm going to ask, and we'll let you know as we have that move-in day, we're going to, the, the church's social media accounts are going to go dark, and I'm going to ask all of you to fast social media as well. And we're not going to post, we're not going to talk about it. The first two weeks are just consecration to the Lord. We're going to have church just for him. And then we'll let the community know. But this will be a house of God. And God has chosen you. If you're here this morning, there is no accident. If you're part of mercy culture, if you've been a part of this season of strengthening and fortifying, it's for a purpose. The Lord took me to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 27 and 29. It says, this means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable, say unshakable, things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear or reverence and awe. For our God is a devouring fire. Let us pray. Father, we are believing you for a devouring fire. God, for a devouring fire to rest upon us as a church, to rest upon us as individuals, to rest upon our families, our businesses, God. We're believing your devouring fire to rest upon our new building. Father, burn, Lord, we ask. Let your glory and your presence burn so brightly and so intensely and so hotly that it burns away all unrighteousness and unholiness. 
that it burns so brightly that lost and hurting people will, will be drawn to the fire of your presence, Lord. It burns off every chain of bondage that people may have on them. In Jesus' name we pray. Lord, we pray that you would bless this message this morning. God, I pray that you would speak through me. I thank you, Lord, that nobody came to hear me, but we all came to hear you. So we say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, somebody said amen. This morning, the Lord told me to teach on dunamis, the power to finish. Repeat after me. Say, I will finish well. Somebody got it. Somebody say it again. Say, I will finish well. First Kings chapter 19, beginning in verse 4. We see this Elijah in the Bible here. And it says, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough now. Oh Lord, take away my life for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. You see, we've been in a season of dunamis power. This is the year of dunamis. The prophetic word over this house is dunamis. It means to strengthen and fortify. And we've asked the Lord, Lord, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And we've asked the Lord to strengthen every part of our lives that may be weak. And God said that he was creating unshakable warriors in this year. When the Lord begins to speak about fortifying you and giving you strength, guess what that means? You are going to need it because the Lord doesn't waste anything. The Lord doesn't pour his oil onto the ground. He wastes nothing. So if he's giving strength, he's giving you strength to do something with it. He's giving you strength to be able to withstand the onslaught and the attacks of the enemy. How many of you feel like in this year of dunamis, strengthening and fortifying everything that can be shaken has been shaken? You can feel the ground underneath you shaking. I felt strengthened. I felt fortified. But I felt the Lord reveal the areas of weakness in my life. I want to tell you today, God really wants to touch some people today. I want you right now to raise your level of expectation for what the Lord wants to do. He told me to tell you and to remind you that God is faithful. Say, God is faithful. Come on, remind yourself. Say, God is faithful. Come on, speak to your spirit. Say, God is faithful. Come on, speak to your spirit. Say, the Lord is faithful. Philippians 1, 6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to a completion in the day of Christ. Galatians 6, 9, and let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, say due season, we will reap. We will reap. We will reap if we do not give up. Psalms 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. God is faithful. God is going to give you the strength, the power, the dunamis to finish and finish well. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, but you will receive power or dunamis when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We see dunamis all throughout the scriptures. In Luke chapter 4, verse 
14, we see dunamis in prayer and in fasting. It says, And Jesus returned in the power or the dunamis of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country. Jesus had a time that he had set himself aside for prayer and fasting, and he returned in dunamis power. In Luke 4.36, dunamis is the authority to cast out devils. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word for with authority and power or dunamis? He commands the unclean spirits and they come out. Luke chapter 9 verse 1, and he called the 12 together and gave them dunamis and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Romans 1.20, dunamis is the nature of God for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal dunamis and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. Romans 1.16, dunamis is the boldness to stand for God. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the dunamis of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Matthew 22.29, dunamis exposes the religious spirit. But Jesus answered them, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the dunamis power of God. Mark 13, 26, Jesus is coming back with dunamis. And then they will see the son of man coming in clouds with great dunamis power and with glory. And dunamis is the power to strengthen and fortify. That word means strength, power, or might a condition in which one can exert great force or withstand great force with a focus of having ability to do what is desired, intended, or necessary. It is the year of fortification, a stronghold, a place or structure which is a safe place to reside against attacks either because of high walls or because of a high inaccessible Position. Some of you have been living in the midst of your attacks. You've been down in the muck and the mire. You've been hanging out with the devils that are trying to attack you. But the Lord is fortifying you today. The Lord is raising you up to a high place above the lies and the attacks of the enemy. He told me to encourage you today. I want you to posture your hearts to receive because I believe that the next few minutes of this message is less about a message and more about an impartation of the power to finish. There's a spiritual impartation. Mm, I want you to just pray. Everybody just begin to pray in the spirit. We're not prophesying in tongues. We're praying in our heavenly language. Some of you this morning are going to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You've been asking God. You've been praying for it. You've been contending for it. And the Lord is going to give it to you today. Come on, just hold out your hands. Posture your heart to receive. Lord, open our hearts to receive the impartation of power today. The Lord told me to encourage you today, to tell you, you will finish strong. Come on, I said you will finish strong. It's not too late. Look at your spouse, look at your friend, look at your neighbor, say it's not too late. The Lord showed me that there are three types of people in this tent today. There are the lost, the weary, and the shaken. In Judges chapters 13 to 16, we see the story of Samson. Many of us learned about Samson as young people. If you're old as me, you probably had one of those felt boards. Y'all ever have one of those felt boards? You know what I'm talking about? Some of y'all are old or you went to your grandma's church. That's Dariel. He's not that old, but he, he went to grandma's church. And they got the felt board. And you know, they pull out the, and, the, and Samson always, he's rip, he, he got a rip in the side. Jesus got one arm hanging down. You know, the felt board been through some stuff. A fell board has seen some stuff. But y'all, if you didn't grow up in church, Google it. But there's, we learned about Samson as children. It's one of the foundational Bible stories. And it's the story of a man who was sanctified or set apart as holy 
from the time he was born. The Lord spoke to his parents and told him to give him the Nazarite vow, meaning that he would never cut his hair and never drink alcohol. He was to be holy, to be set aside. And as he obeyed the Lord, the Lord gave him supernatural strength. It's usually little boy's favorite Bible story because Samson is so strong. Samson can defeat an entire army. Samson can take the jawbone of a donkey and, and kill hundreds of enemies. Just what Samson is strong. Samson is mighty. Samson is ripped. If Samson was alive today, he would offer online fitness training on Instagram. He'd be an influencer. He'd be like, I was just running on mile 13 this morning, and the Lord spoke to me, not even breaking a sweat. Like, that's Samson. Samson was strong. He had many great victories in the Lord. And then we see in Judges, just out of nowhere, it says, and Samson went to visit a prostitute. It's like, what? He just went to visit a prostitute. And it says he goes and he sleeps with this prostitute. And then he comes out of his visit with the prostitute. And the very next line says, and then he fell in love with Delilah. Oh. Samson went and paid for intimacy. And it opened the door to his defeat. He abandoned intimacy with his father and he went and paid for intimacy through a counterfeit source. He began to compromise in his life and he walked out and he fell in love. He fell in a trance with Delilah and she tricked him. Delilah tricked him and she did it for the one thing that gets people every time. She tricked him for money. Say, somebody's getting paid. The, 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 the Philistines, Samson's greatest enemy, Samson fought for the Israelites. The Philistines came to Delilah and said, look, I know that's your boo. I know you've been hanging out with him. I know you share a room with him. I know he loves you. Look, we'll give you a thousand pieces of silver if you'll tell us the secret to Samson's strength so we can defeat him. Judges 16, verse 18 says, when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart. Ah. You see, Delilah used manipulation and control to coax the secrets of Samson's heart out of him. See, some of y'all are laying in the lap of Delilah and you're sharing your whole heart with them. Some of you have been given prophetic words to steward and instead of holding them close and sharing them with people that will breathe life, you're just sharing your heart with Delilah and she's coaxing it out of you. The enemy just coaxed it out of Samson. Tell me some more and he'd tell her a little bit of a secret. He'd make something up and then she'd call in the Philistines and he'd beat them up because it didn't work. And then Samson, he might have been strong, but he sure was stupid. Because he fell for it a second time. Look, <laughs> you get me to share a secret one time and I lie and then miraculously the army does exactly what I lied to you. I'm not going to trust you anymore. But Samson was be bewitched by Delilah. And she got him a second time. Same thing happened. And she said, oh, Samson, you don't really love me. You keep lying to me. And she got him a third time. She bewitched him and he finally opened up and he tells her his secret. And then this is where we see in verse 18. It says, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines saying, come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees. And she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as the other times, and I will shake myself free. And then maybe the scariest phrase in all of the Bible. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. See, this is the position that some of us are in this morning. You've been asleep in the lap of Delilah, 
And you don't even realize that the dunamis power of the Lord has left you. You see, Samson didn't know that the Lord had left him until he needed the power. He didn't realize that he was powerless until he tried to tap into the power. You see, some of us have been pouring out our hearts to Delilah, been sleeping on her lap, been tormented by the spirits, been led astray by a lying, seducing, manipulative spirit. And when the need for power comes, there's none there. Be encouraged. It's not too late. There are some signs that the power has left you. Number one, there's compromise in your life. The things that used to convict you, convict you no longer. You used to be convicted when you would gossip and people would run people down and all of a sudden it just doesn't bother you that much anymore. And you used to be convicted when nasty music would come on and it would bother your spirit, but all of a sudden you found, find yourself humming it in the shower and jamming out to it and it's not a problem anymore. You used to be convicted when filthy movies or television shows would come on, but all of a sudden it just doesn't seem to have the same effect. You used to be convicted by foul language, by sexual images, or coarse joking. But all of the sudden, it seems like it just doesn't quite bother you anymore. You are asleep in the lap of Delilah. Number two, you've developed a hard heart. All of a sudden, you, you're not having your daily encounters. You've become bored with the Bible. You become annoyed when people talk about the things of God. You start to roll your eyes. Okay, that's enough. We already heard about that. We're at dinner. I don't want to hear another testimony from you. And Maybe you don't say it, but inside you're just thinking, oh, can we just move on from this? You're asleep. Asleep in the lap of Delilah. Number three, you're filled with pride. You see, the more you walk in the true power of the Holy Spirit, the more we realize just how weak we actually are. The counterfeit power leads to a people filled with pride. You begin to think like Samson that you're untouchable. It could never happen to me. And you start to be judgmental of everyone else while ignoring our own weaknesses. You see, Samson didn't even know he'd lost his power until he needed it. Don't be powerless when you need it the most. I'm telling you, I believe the Lord sent me this morning to say to you, wake up. Wake up. Don't be powerless when you need it the most. The Lord told me to ask you two questions in this year of dunamis. What is the thing he asked you to do that you have not yet done? Ah. Write it down. Pull out your phone. Write it down on a piece of paper. Remind yourself, what is the thing he asked you to do that you have not yet done? Or are you like Samson? What is the thing he asked you not to do that you have done? You see, Samson's compromise led to Samson's disobedience because compromise always leads to disobedience. Just a little here, just a little there. Compromise always leads to disobedience. The second person that I feel like is in the room this morning is the weary. The weary, the tired, the weak, the exhausted, the person who has said, I have tried to steward the year of dunamis, but pastor, you don't know what I've faced. You don't know what I've dealt with. You don't know how difficult it's been. You don't know how many job opportunities I've lost, how weak my bank account looks, how disheveled my relationships are. You don't understand what I've gone through. I'm weak. And I'm weary. Matthew chapter 26, we see Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. And he's praying and preparing to do the most difficult thing any human being has ever done on the face of the earth. Lay down his life for man. And the most painful, horrific death possible. And you see him praying in this garden and speaking 
to his disciples in verse 28, and he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Ah, some of you have that feeling. Some of you, when I said it, you said, oh, that's me. My soul is very sorrowful even to death. And he said, remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but your will be done. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so you could not watch with me one hour. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Say weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. Another translation says, for they were weary. That word weak in the Greek is the word athnesis. And it means without vigor, without strength, living in a state of weakness or depletion, insufficient, frail, feeble, sickly, weak, either morally and or physically. I felt strongly this morning to bring awareness to the dangers of your weariness. You see, the enemy will try to weary you in the midst of your doing well. He will turn your well-doing into a weapon against you. As you've stewarded this word and you have tried to do well, some of you feel the weariness of the enemy resting upon you. There, you have stepped into a spiritual hesitancy are an aversion to risk. What that means is that you found yourself in a place that you won't do anything unless you are certain of the outcome. Ah, I won't take this spiritual risk because I don't know how it's going to end. I won't fast when my pastor called me to fast because I don't know if I can really follow through with it. I, I won't show up and pray because I don't know how it's going to work out. I won't take that leap of faith that God told me to take because I'm not sure how it's going to end. And when you are not operating with a level of uncertainty, you are operating out of faith. The Bible says that anything not done in faith is what? Sin. Some of us have an unhealthy comfort. <laughs> it's that time of the year. Used to, young people, we used to have this thing on TV called commercials. And believe it or not, right in the middle of a show, can you imagine? They would just interrupt your show and they would play commercials. And some of them would be for, y'all remember the Snuggie? And it was the great big uh, wearable blanket. My mom is here. She would absolutely have. That's a great. Write that down for Christmas. Christmas like, wear a wearable blanket, and you see them just get snuggly and comfortable. And sometimes in those commercials, they would act like they've been laying there for months. Right? That's an unhealthy comfort. See, some of us are in an unhealthy comfort in our spiritual state, but God is going to give you a new intensity. He's going to give you a new level of grit. What makes you weary? Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. Say reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he likes. Discipline and reproof are given to the one whom the Lord loves. But Proverbs tells us and admonishes us, do not grow weary in the discipline of the Lord. I want to remind you something this morning. You asked for this. The Lord reminds me of this often. There'll be situations the Lord's revealing more flesh in me or more issues or more places he wants me to strengthen, more things that need to be tightened up. I'm like, Lord, I just, can you give me a break? It feels like one thing and he'll just go, <clears throat> you asked for this. You've been praying for this every day. You've been saying strengthen and fortify. You've been saying everything that can be shaken will be shaken. You asked for it. I'm like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I will not grow weary of his reproof. When he corrects by his word, through conviction, through your leaders, through your boss at work, how will you respond? with self-righteousness, with defense, and with weariness, or will you respond in strength? 
You have to know what season that you are in, and you're in a season of strengthening and fortifying. Lean in and grow. Do not despise growth. There's a difference between being tired and being weary. It's okay to be tired. It's not okay to be weary. You see, tired is the result of hard work, and weary is spiritual. Tired is the result of working a lot of hours, and it's okay to to be tired. As a matter of fact, if you're never tired, you're unhealthy. If you're never tired, you're lazy. You ought to get tired at least a few times a week. You ought to work yourself till you're tired, but don't fall into weariness. You see, when our tiredness becomes weariness, it's when we take our eyes off of the reason. We take our eyes off of the Lord and we begin to put it on ourselves and we start to build our own empires and then we become weary in our well-doing. There are some signs of weariness. Weariness will lead us to inactivity. You will stop standing up for what's right. You'll lose your moral clarity. You'll stop serving. You'll stop giving. You'll stop praying. You'll stop prioritizing church attendance. You must pursue strength before you need it. You don't just wake up in the morning and go, I think I'm going to do an Ironman tomorrow. You got to pursue the strength you need for the task that is at hand long before you need it. See, the weary are easily offended. Your weariness will make you focus inwardly because self-centered people are always offended. So how do we guard against weariness? Well, you have a daily encounter. You begin to refocus on Jesus. What is he saying and where is he leading? You say, Pastor, I don't feel the Lord whenever I'm encountering God right now. I don't care. Nobody asked you that. Encounter the Lord. But I don't feel like, I don't care. Nobody asked you that encounter the Lord. But I already get up at six, get up at five. Do you want to win or do you want to be taken out at the finish line? I said, do you want to finish the race? Do you want to lean into strength or do you want to rest in your weariness? You want to combat weariness? Have gratitude. Look at everything he's done. Look at how he set you free. Look at where you ought to be compared to where you are. Look at your neighbor and say, I didn't always look like this. I didn't always smell like this. I didn't always talk like this. I didn't always drive what I drive and live where I live. And it didn't always look and feel like this in my life. But look at everything the Lord has done for me. You cannot grow weary when you are walking in gratitude. Protect the health of relationships that give you life. But first, you must know which relationships give you life and which relationships feed you flesh. I've talked about this now for the third time. So the third message I brought this up and the Lord keeps reminding me. You know, it's always interesting to me that that one low-down friend of yours that will always reaffirm and support whatever nastiness you're walking in your flesh, they always pick up the phone when you call. Little Miss Susie, Little Mr. Jack, they're always available. Lickety split, second ring, bring hello. Always available. They're never the ones that go to voicemail. They're never the ones that forget to respond to your text. No, they're responding right away. And you think that their availability means that they're healthy. If you leave feeling affirmed in your frustration, it isn't a life-giving relationship. If every time you call them complaining about your spouse, complaining about your friend, complaining about your church, complaining about your situation, and they help you to realize all the other places you ought to be angry about. Girl, you're right. Man, I know what you're talking about. I couldn't agree with you more 100%. It's not a healthy relationship. If they never call you on your flesh, every time you hang up, you're smiling. Every time they respond, your flesh feels stronger and your spirit feels weaker. Ha! It's not a healthy relationship. If they help you to see the other areas, you ought to find frustration. It's not health. See, the enemy will attack the relationships that bring strength to your life. 
The enemy will attack those relationships with frustration. You'll start confusing their true love for you by pointing out, when they point out the errors of your flesh and try to breathe life into you, it'll make you angry. And the enemy will confuse that and convince you that they're not for you when in actuality, they are for you. And you'll stop being friends with life-giving relationships and you'll turn around and not even realize how it happened. You want to be, you want to be strong and combat weariness lean away from weariness and lean into activity lean into strength men are you coming to morning prayers and you say i feel weary get up and pray push through show up and pray it was uh, y'all some of i've said this before I, i winter is not my favorite holiday i don't understand people who say that it is my wife loves it every time she says it it makes me angry I love you, but I don't understand it. It's gray, it's cold, it's windy, my skin hurts. All the tree looks like a haunted house. The trees look like this, the grass is gray, brown, the clouds, just all of that. I'm freezing to death. People, oh, I just love the winter. What? I don't understand it. But we woke up, we had our first little blast of winter. It was cold, it was rainy. I wanted to get right back in bed. And I could feel an opportunity to partner with weariness or to walk in strength. Uh, See, some of you don't know what's happening in the spirit. You see, some of us are so in the middle of our problems that we're not acknowledging what's happening spiritually. And so I woke up that morning and I said, I'm going to morning prayer today. I'm going to be in that parking lot. I'm going to put on this coat and I'm going to be cold and it's going to be rainy and I'm going to pray like this, but I'm going to pray this morning. And I got out there and the men in this parking lot had, some of them had, had, Uh, umbrellas and some of them had hoodies and we walked around this place and we prayed and we took communion and something shifted and something changed and I know some of you have to work much earlier and you can't be there for morning prayer and this is no condemnation but if you're sitting at home and you can be here this is an encouragement to you get up and lean into strength are you serving are you active in worship You come in and lean into your weariness and snuggle up with it like it's your favorite blanket. Are you tithing? Are you giving? I don't know who this is for, but the Lord told me today to pastor you in this moment. If you're not giving, if you're not tithing, if you're not giving back to the Lord what belongs to him, you are in disobedience and rebellion to the word of God. I didn't write it. He did. We don't need your money. I'm not telling you this because we need your money. I'm telling you this because I will stand before the Lord one day and the Lord will ask me, why did you know these things and not tell my children? The Bible says that if you want, that you ought not want to teach and preach because you will be judged to a higher standard. The Lord will judge me for what I tell you and for what I don't. And I'm not going to stand before the Lord because I was afraid that you might get a little upset because I said, said something about your money if you're not tithing and obeying the lord you're in rebellion and it may be the open door to weariness in your life are you weary be the first to sign up be the first to stand up be the first to say amen don't give in to weariness and the third type of person is the shaken worship team you can come back up Felt the Lord say that some of us in this room this morning are shaken. You didn't, you didn't fall into the traps of Samson. You didn't fall asleep in the lap of Delilah. You haven't, you haven't given away and tried to buy your intimacy. You haven't fallen into sin and disobeyed the Lord. Maybe you're not weary and you don't feel that exhaustion, but you feel shaken. Maybe that shakenness is revealing itself like fear. Lack of understanding. I just just don't know what to do. I've done everything that I can, but I feel shaken. Lord, you asked me. We prayed, let everything that can be shaken. 
be shaken, strengthened, and fortified. But God, where is that strength? Let's go back to our story in 1 Kings chapter 17. Just before we see this great triumph of Elijah, we see this story of Elijah, the prophet of God, the man accomplished unbelievable things for the kingdom. We see in chapter 17, he, the Lord tells him to go into this, into Zarephath, a city. And the Lord speaks to him and says, when you get there, there's going to be a widow woman. I want you to go and stay with her and she's going to feed you. Now imagine how much he has to trust the Lord. Imagine how strong Elijah must be. See, some of us started out this year in this level of strength. You heard the Lord and you just did it. There's some SLS students in this room. You quit your jobs. You moved cities. You heard the Lord and you stepped out and did it. Some of you moved to Waco from all around the country. You heard the Lord. You stepped out in obedience. You were like, Elijah, you were strong. Yes, Lord, Zarephath it is. I trust you. I don't even know anybody in that city, but I trust you. And he walks in and that widow woman says, look, dude, we're starving to death like everybody else. I don't have anything to give you. All I have is this little oil, this little bit of flour. I'm going to make this little cake for me and my son. We're going to eat it and then we're going to starve to death. And Elijah, the prophet of God, had the nerve to look at her and say, well, make me a cake first. And if you do, your oil and flour will never run dry until the famine is broken. And he did it. There was a miracle. Shortly after that, the lady's son died. He fell to an illness and she came to him. Why, why has this happened? You, you're the prophet of God. You came. I did what you asked. Now my son is dead. And he said, what? The Lord will raise him. And he speaks life into the boy. And he was raised from the dead. Elijah he confronts Ahab, the king. He goes from victory to victory. He goes to the king Ahab, whose wife is Jezebel, one of the meanest, baddest, most evil demonic spirits in the entire Bible. Jezebel is his wife. And he confronts the king of Ahab. He said, you are wicked, and you've led the children of Israel to serve false, wicked, demonic gods. And he calls him out. And he says, get all of your little prophets together. I love this story. Elijah gathers them together and he says, 450 prophets of Baal, you set up an altar to your God, I'll set up an altar to my God. And whichever God sends fire down and consumes the sacrifice, that's the real God. And the prophets of Baal begin to worship their false God. They start yelling and screaming. They start cutting themselves. They start doing their demonic rituals and Elijah is over on the side mocking them. I love it. He says, well, scream a little bit louder. Maybe he didn't hear you. I can just picture him sitting back eating a grape. Maybe he's on vacation. Then he's, this, the Bible actually says this. He goes, maybe he's using the bathroom. Scream just a little bit louder. And what happens? Nothing happens. And then Elijah stands up and says, you are Jehovah. You are the God. You are the one true and living God. Show these people who you are and send fire. And the Bible says, immediately fire flashed from heaven and consumed the sacrifice and lapped up the water around the altar. And then Ahab gets up from there and he goes and he stops a famine in the land. Ahab, Elijah, Elijah sees victory after victory after victory after victory. And then here comes Ahab and he begins to threaten Elijah. He tells him, I'm going to kill you just like you killed my prophets. Just like you killed the prophets of Baal, I'm going to kill you. And the enemy convinced Elijah that he was all alone. And that spirit of Jezebel began to shake his faith. What did Elijah do? He ran from the fight. First Kings chapter 19, verse 4. 
It says, but he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough now, Lord. Some of you this morning, you've been sitting under that proverbial broom tree. You said, it is enough, Lord. Take away my life. For I'm no better than my father's. Some of you this morning, you're just like Elijah. You've won some battles, but you forgot. You've defeated some enemies, but Jezebel has emotionally shaken you. The enemy has caused you to take your eyes off of the spirit and begin to look through the eyes of your emotions. But the spirit of the Lord sent me to remind you this morning, you're not done yet. Some of you said, Pastor, I'm at the brink. I'm at the edge. I believed God for that baby and you didn't get and he didn't give it to me yet. I believed God for that breakthrough and it didn't happen. I believed God for the restoration of my marriage and it didn't happen yet. I believed God for that healing in my body. I believed God for that calmness to my mind. I believed the Lord that he would strengthen and fortify my emotions, that he would drive out this depression, that he would give me spiritual awareness and it hasn't happened and I'm on the brink. I'm on the brink. I'm on the verge. I'm on on the edge of death and the Lord said bringing you to the place of death was always the plan nobody looking around every eye closed every eye closed it was always the plan it was always the plan Samson's greatest feat of strength came through his death you see Samson was lulled to sleep by Delilah he poured out the secrets of his heart to the enemy and he stepped into disobedience to the Lord and his strength was taken away from him. But oh, Jesus, the Spirit of the Lord made another opportunity for him. And there he found himself standing in a house filled with enemies of the Lord. Thousands of enemies of God were all around him and Samson put his hands upon the pillars of that house. The very thing that was holding that up and he said, Lord, just one more time. Somebody say one more time. One more time. Strengthen me. What happened? Samson said, I'm willing to die. I'm willing to die. Just strengthen me one more time. And with just a push, the pillars fell and the house crumbled down around him. And through his death, Samson killed more enemies of God in a moment than he did in his entire lifetime combined. We see this as the disciples walked with Jesus and they were weary and they were exhausted and they were tired and they were weak and they said, we can't do it anymore. And Jesus brought each and every one of them to the place of death. And when they were willing to lay it all down, he changed the world through their dead lives. We see it through Elijah. The Bible sent an angel to bring him food. He said, rise and eat this food. Strengthen yourself. You're going to need this strength. I just hear the Lord. You see, the Lord didn't even respond to Elijah when he said, let me die. He said, get up and eat. Some of you are saying, let me die. And the Lord says, get up and eat. Some of you are saying, I can't do it anymore. The Lord says, get up and eat. He said, what about this? What about that? What about this? And he's not even addressing your issues. He says, arise and eat, for I'm going to strengthen you for the journey ahead. And then you see Elijah come to the place where he doesn't care about anything and anybody else, and all he cares about is pleasing the Lord. He's ready to lay down his life, and he's walking with Elisha. And Elisha, he says, he says to Elisha, hey, when I die, what do you want from me? You better tell me, what do you want from the Lord? And Elisha said, I want a double portion of what you've got. Ah, somebody tell the Lord, I want a double portion. Somebody tell the Lord all the things I've been through, I want a double portion. Come on, somebody just begin to declare 
The enemy thought that he had exhausted me and weakened me. The enemy thought that he had lulled me to sleep. The enemy thought that he had caused me to be so shaken. But not only am I going to finish well, I'm going to get a double portion. And Elijah said to Elisha, he said, what you're asking for is a great thing. It's a big thing. And then what happened? Elijah lays down his life and he's brought up in a, in, in a fire, in a chariot of fire and presence. And Elisha is left with a double portion of what is on his life. Ladies and gentlemen, he brought you to the brink. Don't give up. I said he brought you to the brink. Don't give up. Somebody stand to your feet. Come on, stand to your feet. Dig in your heels. Dig in your heels. Dig in your heels right now. Physically dig in your heels. Physically square up your shoulders. Physically stand up straight and strong. You may have started wrong, but you're gonna finish well. Come on, lift up your hands. I said you may have started wrong, but you're gonna finish well. You may have been staying on the path and you've been walking with Jesus just like the disciples, but you've grown weary. The Lord said,